Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year-long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Here's a story we all know quite well. The story of an angel paying a visit to a humble virgin in a lowly city in a despised region. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Rejoice, you who have been graced. The Lord is with you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of David his father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the declaration of the archangel Gabriel in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, but it was just one of many pronouncements concerning the preparation of the man-savior Jesus as recorded in Luke's Gospel. We will look at several of these marvelous declarations today. And Bob Danker has joined us for, I think, uh, one of our most enjoyable life studies so far, Bob, in this Gospel of Luke. Wouldn't you agree? I agree, Chris. This is a very enjoyable life study because it speaks concerning the wonderful person of Christ and reveals so much concerning him and his work to carry out God's economy. Bob, as many times as I've heard it or read it, I I really love the uh, declaration of Gabriel that we just uh, touched there in the introduction today. We've been seeing this gospel reveals Christ as the man-savior, This, particularly this gospel of Luke. And Gabriel's announcement or pronouncement touches that, and I think you can develop it a little bit. But it's also not the only interesting or dynamic pronouncement that we see in these early chapters of Luke, is it? No, Chris. In fact, we see many announcements or pronouncements from a number of different parties, including angels and men, concerning this one who was to be born of this virgin. And in these announcements and pronouncements, we can see many, many wonderful revelations concerning this person and what he would be and what he would do when he came to carry out God the Father's plan. In the first three and a half chapters of Luke, there actually are seven, I believe. In this message, we're going to touch six of them and really look in more detail at just a few. But as you mentioned, two angels, Gabriel here, and then we'll see in just a moment as we get to Witness Lee's portion, another angel has something to say, something to offer. And then four individuals, actually five, we won't deal with Mary's uh, today. We already had a program where we touched uh, Mary's praise in some detail. But we have uh, four individuals, four human beings who also entered in here. 
the first being Elizabeth and then her husband Zechariah, who were the parents of John the Baptist, and then an old priest named Simeon and an old prophetess named Anna. And all of their pronouncements together give us quite a portrait of the man Savior. Why don't we join Witness Lee with the first portion today? In these first two chapters, two angels and four persons were involved in the uh, preparation of the man Savior. First of all, the archangel Gabriel came to Mary. Gabriel mentioned four main items of the coming man Savior. Number one, he will be Jesus. Number two, this coming man Savior will be the Son of the Most High. That is, the Son of God. Number three, the coming Savior will be the descendant of David. The number four, the coming Savior will be the holy thing. Then, after this, the foreigner's mother, in her blessing, denoted two points concerning the coming man Savior. Number one, the fruit, referring to his humanity. Then, my Lord, referring to the man Savior's divinity. Then, in Zechariah's prophecy, he mentioned three main points. Number one, the man Savior will be the horn of salvation in the house of David, referring to his humanity. Then, also, he prophesied that the man Savior will be the rising sun from on high. This refers to the man Savior's divinity. Then, in uh, the angel's announcement at the birth of the man Savior, three items also mentioned. Number one, the Savior. Number two, Christ. Number three, the Lord. Then, in uh, Simon's adoration, six items. Number one, the coming Savior is the consolation of Israel. Then, the salvation of God for all the peoples. That means for all the mankind. Number three, the coming Savior will be a light for the Gentiles. Number four, the glory of Israel. Not only the consolation, but also the glory. Number five, he's also a testing one to Israel. Number six, a sign opposed to, a sign. Then lastly, in Anna's adoration, the redemption of God's people. You count all the items you could see in these six persons, two of whom are angels, four are human beings. In these six persons, words, 17 items are revealed concerning this coming man-saving. Well, Bob, that was a pretty jam-packed three minutes there that we just heard. Uh, Normally, we try to stay away from long lists of things for the radio, but this one is so tremendous, we just felt like we had to include it. All of these items, 17 items revealed from the speaking of these six entities, six different persons, including the two angels. In a summary way, Bob, what are they showing us here? Well, Chris, in a summary way, they show us the person of this 
one who is to be born, this coming man-savior, and they show us something related to his work. But the striking thing here is the revelation of the person of the man-savior. And if you consider all these pronouncements, announcements, blessings, and praises from these persons and these angels, you will see that it is very striking that this coming one will be both man and God. Right. He will have humanity because he will be the fruit of Mary's womb, and he will be the descendant of David, his forefather. He will be a man. Mm -hmm. And yet he will be the son of the Most High. He will be the son of God. He will be the Lord. He will be Jesus, Jehovah, the triune God, to be the salvation and the Savior. He will be God. He will be man and God. He will be human and divine. He will be a God-man. It's a marvelous thing. Christ being God and man is his qualification to carry out his salvation for all God's chosen people. If he is only a man, he doesn't have the full qualification. Right. And yet, if he were only God, he would not be qualified either. He must be a God-man. He must be God and man. Bob, this matter of Christ being the unique God-man up until his birth, nothing ever like that on earth among humanity. But this coming section, we're going to see traversing back in time to the Garden of Eden and God's original purpose for Adam, the first man. And I think the comparison we will see will be very striking. I hope our listeners really are able to uh, focus in on what we're about to offer. Here's Witness Lee once again. You add all the 17 items together, you just could see this man Savior is not only both God and man, but also everything God intended to give and to do for his people. It's everything. Such a man was the man God intended to have in Genesis 1 and 2. What can a man? A God-man. A God-man. In Genesis 1, you have a man created by God in God's image. That means in God's attributes. But the man God created in Genesis 1 was merely a man bearing God's image. Yet, that man didn't have God. And he was still not the God-man. He was merely a God-created man, not a God-man yet. But God wanted him to be a God-man. So, after the creation, God put this man in front of the tree of life, which denoted God. God's intention was that his created man would receive the tree of life to make him a God-man. Yet, the man failed. The man didn't take the tree of life and didn't receive the tree of life. He remained as the man. Then the enemy, the tempter came to tempt him. And this God created man 
he couldn't stand the temptation. Adam didn't stand the temptation. He was unable because he didn't have God. God is the best equipment. You need to get yourself equipped with God, with the triune God. Once you get yourself equipped with triune God, you become a God-man. Bob, this section uh, gives us a fascinating comparison here between the first man, Adam, and Christ, who, of course, in 1 Corinthians is referred to as the last Adam. And what we see is that Adam's problem wasn't so much that he did the wrong thing, which, of course, he did, but it's that he was the wrong kind of person, the wrong kind of man. He was just a man, and that was the problem. What God needed was a God-man, and that's Christ. Let's talk about this God-man. It's a strange term or a new term to many people, Bob, but it's full of impact and import, isn't it? Absolutely, Chris. This is one of the most important and significant revelations, I would say, in the Bible, to see that when God created Adam, His intention was not that Adam would remain as a perfect and sinless created man. Surely, when Adam was created, he was without fault, mistake. Yet this is not what God intended Adam to be. Because after he created Adam, he put Adam in the garden in front of the tree of life. So that by receiving the tree of life, by eating of the tree of life, Adam would receive God's life and God's nature into him, in addition to his human life and human nature, and thereby become a God-man. This is very, very striking, because this perfect man, Adam, when he was tempted by the tempter Satan, was not able to stand. He fell. Uh What does this show us? This shows us that even if we could be perfect and sinless, as long as we are merely human, we can never defeat God's enemy. We can never be what God wants us to be. What God wants us to be is a God-man. So we have to get ourselves, as Brother Lee said, equipped with the triune God. How can we be equipped? By eating the tree of life. We should not make the same mistake that Adam did. Adam made a great mistake by waiting and by not partaking of the tree of life. He remained a created, good, perfect, sinless man. But this kind of man was not able to defeat God's enemy. In fact, he was defeated and captured by God's enemy. This is a tremendous picture to us, showing us that Now that Christ has died on the cross for redemption, the way to partake of the tree of life has been opened to us. Now we should not delay. We should every day eat the tree of life so that we may be a God-man and fulfill God's purpose for us, for man. And we also will be equipped to defeat God's enemy. Otherwise, we ourselves will be defeated by Satan. Bob, you mentioned, and it will come up again now as we go to this final section today, that really in the Garden of Eden, Adam, the perfect Adam, 
presented not much of a threat, did he, to God's enemy. In fact, Satan approached him readily and ensnared him. And we have all uh, experienced that and duplicated or replicated that event countless number of times in our own life. But there is one with whom Satan has uh, no success whatsoever, and it is uniquely this God-man. That's the focus of our last section. In Genesis 3, the God-created man was not equipped by and with God. He was merely a man without God as his equipment. But this man, Jesus, was a person essentially saturated with God himself and economically anointed with God. Look at what can person inside, full of God, outside, wrapped, closed with God. He was such a God, so he was fully ready, fully equipped to fight down God's enemy. He was not waiting there for the enemy to come. The Spirit led him to go to the place where the enemy was. With Adam, the enemy came to the garden to attack Adam. With Jesus, the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to attack the enemy. When this person went, he was essentially full of God and economically full of God. He was a person, inside and outside, full of God. He was ready, he was equipped, and he went to the wilderness as a warrior. Then he defeated Satan. He defeated Satan in the highest standard of morality. He gained the victory. And you have to realize his victory was the qualification for him to carry out the God-given ministry. So from chapter 4, verse 14, he began to minister. The preparation of the man's Savior has been completed here in this temptation. After the victory over this temptation, he was fully prepared and he was fully qualified to carry out the God-given ministry. Well, now we see, Bob, how significant these pronouncements that we opened the program with, these 17 items that really, in summary, as you pointed out, all bring us to the inescapable conclusion that this one was unique because of both aspects, the human and divine, perfectly mingled, blended, and expressed in the man Jesus. And now, what a contrast in terms of how he is equipped to deal with God's enemy. I really appreciated his analogy here. Satan came after Adam in the garden, but in his uh, preparation, the man Savior went after Satan, didn't he? That's right, Chris. It's very striking to see the picture here. First of all, the Lord Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That means he had God's life, nature, and essence inwardly. He was filled, saturated, and permeated with God inwardly. Right. Then, just before he went to attack the enemy, he was baptized, and the Spirit came upon him outwardly to anoint him. So inwardly he was filled with God, and outwardly he was clothed with God. 
He was a person altogether wrapped up with God, and he was a person mm. absolutely equipped with God to face, to fight against, and to defeat God's enemies. So, the Spirit led such an equipped God-man to go to the very place, the wilderness, where he could meet the enemy himself and defeat him. This is a tremendous picture showing us that this second man, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the God-man, he is the one qualified to defeat God's enemy. Satan has no way Mm. to have any kind of advantage in relation to this person. Satan has nothing at all in him, no possibility, no chance to gain any ground in this God-man. What a marvelous person he is. And he has defeated God's enemy for us, and he has opened the way for us to partake of him Hmm. as the tree of life so that we can be God-men. This is a marvelous picture, and it should cause us to appreciate the Lord Jesus so much and even to desire to be filled with him, to be the same as he is, so that we can fulfill God's purpose. And this one is fully qualified to carry out his God-given ministry, which we will see in the coming programs here in the Gospel of Luke. Right. What a ministry he had, and this is his qualification. I can't help but think back to our life study of Revelation, and it's related in this sense, when the Lord comes back again, For the final defeat of his enemy, he comes with an army of God-men this time. And, of course, we know that that is the prepared bride of Christ. So uh, what we see in Luke is really the theme carried out throughout the entire New Testament, isn't it, Bob? That's right, Chris. Actually, through his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord makes his believers God-men. This is his salvation, to make his believers the same as he is. Eventually, he will gain a group of God-men, and he will come back to this earth and defeat Antichrist, the very embodiment of Satan. And, of course, when we say the same as he is, we mean in life and nature, and not, of course, his place in the Godhead. But in life and nature, this God-man gets replicated in the members of his body, doesn't he? Absolutely, Chris. Bob, I wish we had much more time for this one. This has uh, just been a marvelous enjoyment for me, and I think uh, I can tell by the shine on your face you've enjoyed it as well. We really hope that you listening have had the same enjoyment and the same enlightenment that we've received uh, at bringing this message to you. The Printed Life Study is in much greater detail, and it's much better than the program we've just prepared. So we hope you'll um, contact us. I'll give you our toll-free number. You can find out how to receive these Printed Life Study messages from the Gospel of Luke. A marvelous resource for you. Also, the recovery version with the footnotes touches nearly all of these matters and gives you the crystal or the kernel of the essence of the points in all of these things. So both of these resources, the printed life studies and the recovery version, tremendous resources for you, and we hope you'll contact us. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814 and our email address is radio at lsm.org For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. 
Brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening. What does it really mean to be born again? Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. To be born anew is to be born from above, from heaven. That is to be born from God who is in heaven. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is a divine realm to be entered into, a realm that requires the divine life. Only the divine life can realize the divine things. Hence, for one to see or to enter into the kingdom of God requires that he be regenerated with the divine life. Scripture, John 3, verse 3, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version, published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.